When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special edition of the Woke Bros. I'm your gracious co-host, Big Waz, alongside my compadre, Michael Shabazz, Jamal Abdul-Brooks, who happens to actually be in Massachusetts these days, uh, visiting family, which is always beautiful. But today, we have a very special guest. We rarely ever have guests on the Woke Bros, if ever. Probably the second guest ever on this show. We got the great Aaron Dodson of the undefeated aka the black grantland are, are y'all still going by that aaron it's uh it's kind of frowned upon in our newsroom but <laughs> <laughs> we can call it that <laughs> for this sake it's fine okay. I, I always like the name but i know a lot of people didn't but i, I think it's- i think if it's frowned upon if it's frowned upon in the newsroom then that's our official style guys then that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's probably yeah. why we gonna co-sign yeah um, right. and t- on today's show, we're going to talk about Aaron's fantastic piece that he did for the undefeated about the Puma deal with Nipsey Hussle, which isn't just a business deal. It's kind of an insight into the dude and his whole thought process about approaching things that made him such a special guy in the culture. Um, of course, we're going to get into that Dave Chappelle special, which is making waves in the egghead community, the blue check community. <laughs> It's making waves, all the right kind of waves that I love. I I, I love when the, the, the fellow libtards get their panties in a bunch about certain kind of things, which I'm loving. But first, man, <laughs> but first, but first, got to talk to you guys about Count the Dings live in San Francisco on October 12th at the Independent. Myself, of course, Black Trey, Amin El Hassan, Tom Habistro, Zach Harper, Jade Hoy, the evil producer, Rob Lopez on the ones and threes. You know, Nissan Bluestein is going to be there. Eden Lynn, Anthony Mays, repping Frisco as always. Uh, special guests from the Light Years podcast, Andy Lou and Samus Fendiari, alongside Bay Area legend and the Athletics' own Marcus Thompson with plenty of other special guests. In the past, of course, you know we had Pablo Torre, Bomani Jones. We had people like Taylor Rooks, the legendary Jake One. I mean, the, the list goes on and on when it comes to the tricks we like to pull from up out of our sleeves. Man, you don't want to miss it. There's barely 30 tickets left. Um, this is a 400 cap venue, so we're basically a packed house. You're not going to want to miss it. The energy is going to be incredible. So please go to countthedings.com to get your tickets. I don't want to hear it. Don't hit my line. Do not hit my line. Oh, was I thought it was no, 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 no. Get your tickets ASAP. This thing's going to sell out by the time October 12th comes. So get on that if you haven't already. And of course, Mike, this past weekend you were in Chicago and I heard TMBS tore the, tore the place down. Tell the people about that, man. A quick recap. No, it was, it was beautiful. I just, I mean, you know, I expected 
that we were going to fill up Brooklyn. We were going to fill up LA. Obviously it's a, you know, it's a Brooklyn show. Brooklyn is home base LA. We're going to have the great Waz, the great Anna Kasparian, the great Nando Vila. And I have a lot of California connections. Uh, and I love Chicago. I, I, I knew, I mean, we booked it. So I knew we were going to move tickets. I knew we would fill up Lincoln Hall, but it was new to me. You know, I definitely don't know Chicago and the Midwest like I do New York or California. People filled the place. We had people who made the trip from Kansas City, Missouri, from Detroit, Michigan, from all over the state of Illinois. The energy was beautiful. The Obama impression was tight. And it was an incredible show. Uh, so, you know, and, and now we also had uh, one gentleman who came from L.A. to Chicago and another gentleman who hit the trifecta, New York, L.A. and Chicago. But it was a very I like how all of these shows so far really feel like where they're at. Chicago was no exception. Next week on TMBS, we're announcing our next date. You don't want to miss it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, let's get right into it. So uh, when did this piece drop, Aaron? Um, was it, it was last week. Um, am I right? Yeah, it dropped last, last Tuesday. Last week, Tuesday, I saw it on my timeline. Obviously, I'm going to click on anything Nipsey related. Um, and you wrote a piece about the Puma deal, how it came to fruition, the, you know, the nature of the collaboration, which was different from just, you know, the ex- athlete or ex-rapper puts his name behind the shoe and kind of moves on and gets his check and goes on with his life. They formed a different type of partnership. And I think what your piece did a beautiful job of illustrating was, you know, how intentional Nipsey was about pretty much every aspect of his life. And particularly as a businessman and as a, you know, a cultural leader, man, tell me how this whole thing came about for you, this piece. Yeah, so um, I, I for the undefeated, I, I cover sneakers, I cover apparel, and um, last year I actually did a huge piece. Uh, actually, earlier this year in February, I did a huge piece on Puma, um, and I got to know their global brand director, Adam Petrick, um, and we kind of just established a relationship. And at, from the outside looking in, I always looked at a guy like Nipsey Hussle as just a guy who put on for Puma so well. Um, and I wanted to do something surrounding in the wake of his death, surrounding how authentic this partnership was. And Puma is actually going to be releasing, um, a TMC, the marathon clothing, um, and Puma capsule collection that Nipsey actually helped design and really contributed to in the months before his death. And he spent, you know, months with the Puma team. Um, he had a merchandise manager who helped him and he really wanted to bring, a dope collection of life. And he was able to do that. And Puma is going to be releasing the collection on September 5th. Um, and it's, I got a chance to go up to Boston a couple of weeks ago and see the collection in person. Um, it's incredible. Um, all of, you know, Nipsey's ideas and thoughts are contributed into this collection. And it, it was just nice to hear from them at Puma, how authentic, their relationship was with him and how they want to continue that after his passing. Yeah. I mean, that really came through, uh, the article, just how authentic that partnership was. And I think, I mean, there, there's so many, you don't want to reduce, uh, 
this is like the the millionth reason of why it's such a travesty and so depressing that he's not here anymore. Because what was occurring to me when I was reading it, I might be making unfair comparisons here, but it's like out of the gate, this is not just some apparel product endorsement deal. This is somebody who has a vision, has a creative strategy. It syncs up with his music, with everything that he's doing. But he also seems to me to be like more of this time in some ways, right? Like that his instincts for how to do this are not going to lead to a Jay-Z NFL deal. As an example, <laughs> if I could bring up another, another subject, it just seemed to me that like, I guess in a, in an industry where there's some people who definitely are making a broader lane for themselves as, as business people and as creatives and so on, man, I hate that word. I got to take that out of my vocabulary that Nipsey really was just number one, actually doing it. And then number two, when the field gets even smaller, doing it in a way that still just has a lot of cultural intelligence and insight and it, and it's synced up with a broader mission, which also overlaps with Puma. And, you know, this is a smart play on their part, but they're giving the proceeds to his foundation. Yep, most definitely. I mean, I, I think that, you know, um, you know, sort of Puma's vision and, and being in the culture really aligned with, with Nipsey's vision. Uh, Nipsey was a guy who wore multiple hats. I mean, obviously he was an MC, he was a community leader, he was a businessman. And I think the next step for him personally was to show that he was fashion forward, that he could do the, the apparel, he could do the shoes as well. And I mean, just to hear all the people at Puma talk about the effect that he had on them during this, you know, several months long process was astounding. I mean, um, Ian Ford, who works at Puma as a merchandise manager, he oversaw the collection from a design standpoint. And he told me this incredible story about how during the design process, his team was sort of stuck in a creative rut. And he called Nipsey and Nipsey said, I can help you guys better in person than over the phone. And <laughs> Ian Ford was like, all right, we'll talk to marketing. We'll get your travel. Nipsey was like, no, I'll take care of it. He was there in the next couple of days. He spent three days with the team and he helped them get through this creative rut that they were in. And just to hear these stories about how he could help a design team for a global sportswear brand do what they wanted to do was just amazing to me. And I mean, he, he meant a lot to Puma. Um, Puma meant a lot to him and they were just so collaborative and Puma was also able to, you know, contribute to his goals of giving back to the community. He did a court refurbishment um, at an elementary school around the corner from his granny's house. Another million dollar bill, that's just some regular shit. See my granny on the jet, some shit I'll never forget. Next day we flew to Vegas with my Puma connects. We break bread, we ain't new to success. Blade music and best. Enterprise, take lucrative steps. Cold game, but I knew it was chess. As a youth in the set. Learn the game, you a student at best But it's a couple things you can expect Look, Just like money, no money Nigga shooters respect Other shooters, we was both Throwing my crew on your neck I'm on the freeway in the drop It got me losing my breath I do the dash with the blues on the deck and he just, I don't know, it was just, uh, I, he, it was just a great deal and a, and a great partnership. And I, I kind of wanted to just illustrate that uh, through stories from people from the brand. Man, I, I want to talk about Puma for a second, if we can move it away from Nipsey specifically, just really quickly, because 
they caught my eye initially and, and from the like and you could tell me if this narrative is is you know sort of misguided but they caught my eye initially when they did a deal with Rihanna yeah because Rihanna is somebody who for years has been moving culture and I and again not to sound cliche it's just true she shows up in some random paparazzi picture in some random clothing item and for the next few months every woman you see who considers herself to be on brand on trend is wearing that item because rihanna ward and you know sort of her place in the culture was before you know but like right now like obviously fenty has done what it's done she's done a deal with louis vuitton at this point where it's just like it's unimpeachable but at the time that wasn't some quote unquote obvious deal to make just because Rihanna was a popular pop star. Like I, th- I thought it took some savvy to recognize that like Rihanna is somebody you need to be partnering with. And when she made those sneakers, they moved. Yeah, they moved immediately. And then, you know, obviously they did the deal with Meek. Obviously, they did the deal with Nipsey. Obviously, they make a huge push to get back into the NBA, which we all know. Um, everybody on this call knows is the most culturally relevant sport in America. So I see all of these moves that they're doing of a piece. And you said you wanted to write about them back in February of last year. What what did you see? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you kind of hit on a lot of those points. I mean, Puma for the last several years have you used the term uh, culturally relevant. They've stayed culturally culturally relevant by you know partnering with these athletes, partnering with these musical artists. And they see the influence that the these entertainers and, and, and superstar athletes can have on the culture. And they just want to help drive that. You know, they want to make these deals. Um, I think, like like you said, you know, the deal with Rihanna c- kind of came out of nowhere. Right. It's like, why, why is why is Puma partnering with yeah. Rihanna? Why is Rihanna partnering with Puma? But, you know, they, they collaborated. They created an incredible shoe. Um, and a collection and they saw success with that and kept going. I mean, I, I think another name to throw in there is, is Jay-Z, you know, they brought him on as a creative director when they're trying to get back into basketball. And he has had a lot of influence, not only on the sports side of things for Puma, but also the entertainment and cultural side of things for Puma. So I just, I don't, I don't know. I just think Puma gets it. You know, they're a global company that are willing to take chances on these people and they've had a lot of success doing so. And I want just like before I jump in, I just want to say that the the, the reason why this stuff matters is because like take a rapper like Logic, right? Who whatever you could say there's no cool attached to his brand. But as far as an artist, he's a much bigger artist than Nipsey Hussle was before he passed away, right? Like, he does bigger venues, he does more streams, he does all of this stuff. And back in the days, a brand would be like, all right, we want to move clothes. This guy does this, this, that in this venue. Um, We think that could translate to clothes, even though he doesn't have that cultural imprint, even though there's no, you know, there's no synergy between logic and, a, you know, a tracksuit. There is no real synergy in those two ideas, but Puma was savvy enough to do that. And I think do the, do do a deal with somebody like Nipsey and Amik who aren't more popular than Logic, right? And 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 you know, I have my own opinions about Logic that I don't need to get into right now. But he's a huge artist. 
in his own right. But, you know, back in the days, again, a brand would be like, yo, he's huge. Let's just slap some logos on him and yeah. keep it pushing. Puma was just way more savvier. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think it depends on how you define popularity. I mean, obviously, like you said, Logic, a guy like Logic is huge. He's a, he's a great artist. He sells out venues. But, I mean, it, it seems like Nipsey and, and Meek Mill like kind of resonate with the people a little more. Um, and Puma was able to recognize that. And one, one thing that's super interesting to me, um, and kind of what I discovered in, in my reporting on the story is that Nipsey Hussle was very adamant about when he got his collection, he didn't want his name on any of the products. His right. only thing that are on the products is the marathon. It was always about the marathon and the marathon's ability to to give back to the community of Los Angeles that he grew up, that raised him, and that he always wanted to uh, get back to. So, you know, he he did an interview a couple of weeks before he passed away, and he announced his new partnership with Puma. He announced that he was having this collection come out, and one of the radio hosts kind of said, "Oh man, we're about to get a Nipsey Hustle shoe," and he stopped him and said, "It's not a Nipsey Hustle shoe; it's a marathon clothing shoe." And yeah. that just really that just really stuck out to me because it, it wasn't necessarily about him. Um, it was about this bigger thing that he stood for. Um, and I think that's really resonated in, in the collection. Yeah. The last thing I'll just say about this is I, I think another thing that Puma does so well, and I could say this as somebody who's a consumer of basically Puma and Adidas, in spite of my own, like, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a fucking Marxist. So I have weird <laughs> ideas about having brand loyalty, but, um, what what Puma does particularly, and I think Adidas does too. Um, to me, they evoke kind of like some of the cool and some of the grandeur of what was what seemed appealing stylistically about the seventies. Yeah, and I'll never remember. I'll never forget this book. Um, Where did you get those? Which is this like kind of coffee table book with a lot of great uh, pictures and some photos, and it just tracks. Bobito Garcia culture. Yeah, exactly. I mean, of course you would know this. Yeah. Of course you, you're the, you're the scholar. I'm trying to, I bet a lot of our audience probably knows it too, but uh, yeah, it tracks sneaker culture from the sixties to eighties. And there's this one line, maybe you actually remember it, but it was like, I think somebody said basically like when they were in their Pumas, uh, which is now like basically, you know, they've been re-released with those retro lines, which I buy sometimes. Yeah. You felt like a monarch on the court, like no matter what your financial status was, certainly your racial status, where you were, what kind of playground you're playing on. There was just an incredible dignity and power about those shoes. And so to me, when I interface with some of those products from Puma, I really do think of like, whether it's where did you get those, but even just atmospheric things like a great movie like Serpico. And to me, Nip was kind of an artist and a visionary that fit in that kind of tradition. Also in the sense that even though he wasn't as big as like a logic, he was big. And that harkens back to a time also in the seventies when mainstream culture was cool. You know what I mean? Like Hollywood was putting out amazing movies and you didn't have to go out of your way to the art house or a streaming service to find an amazing quote unquote underground movie. It was just what they put out. And so I think the intelligence of Puma and the brilliance of, of Nipsey was kind of recognizing that and, and amplifying that too. Yeah. I think, I mean, when I think of Puma, I, I think of Walt Clyde Frazier, 
you know, and how, how cool yeah, he was. Yeah, obviously, yeah. I, obviously I'm a little young for that, but I mean, I've heard stories. My grandfather has talked about how cool he was, you know, and like, I think Nipsey sort of came from that same mindset, you know, like he, he was a fresh dude, you know, and he loved look, <laughs> rocking the track suits. He looked good in track suits. Uh, yeah. There's people at the brand that say that they should actually rename the T7 tracksuit, the Nipsey Hustle tracksuit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that he, like down the road, when you, you think of a stop from a style standpoint, a sneaker standpoint, I mean, Nipsey is going to have a long lasting historic place um, in Puma's history just for what he meant to the brand, how well he put on for the brand. Um, and it's, it's sad that he, he is not no longer with us to, to continue that vision. Yeah. yeah it's, a, I was, it's a heartbreak. I was really moved by the piece. I'm, I'm happy that you made that, man, um, that you did that. Uh, and you know, it was incredibly sourced. Um, you talked to everybody at the brand and they were so freaking open and candid about, you know, the whole process. Obviously they're talking about a piece of clothing that's going to sell and stuff like that. And we get that, but Man, I thought they went really in depth about the process and what it took to to make this collaboration come together and them telling the stories about, you know, they wrapped up the the, the project and Nipsey going around to thank every single yeah, person that had a hand in making it happen and they were able to get that on footage. I I just thought that it was incredible cuz it spoke to the spirit of the man. Um, of the human being, man, that was, that was really cool. So we appreciate you for that, Aaron. And, um, you know, Salute, Aaron. We, appreciate we, we transitioned from the great Nipsey hustle to the great Dave Chappelle, man, truly great, great Dave Chappelle, great <laughs> Dave Chappelle. like truly, truly one of our biggest gifts that we have in culture right now. Right. Like he's a gem. He's giving us stuff every time out. The idea that he could come out a year later with another hour, you know, um, and just be incredible. I, I'm so, like, it's, it, he's just incredible. Um, I'm so happy Aaron is on the show today. And obviously, I know Michael Brooks has a lot of <laughs> a lot of <laughs> thoughts about this because this is the type of things that we're constantly thinking about when it comes to. What's happening in culture and how our flock, our tribe, you know, the fellow libtards, the dirty hippies are not <laughs> just consuming it. We're fresh but like, hippies, wise. Oh, what'd you say? We're fresh. We're fresh hippies. Oh, we're wise. fresh hippies now. Okay, I, matter of fact, I look, I look pretty good in a tracksuit, too. This is just uh, my friend. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But, Mike, um, did you? Okay, so I want to know what you went into um, before watching the Dave. Like, did you hear any commentary, see anything, or did you just no. see that it came out and you just no. watched it? That's No, that's I, I, it just so happened to be timed in such a way that literally when it dropped, I could just watch it. And, and I, and, and so what was actually really funny to me was that you can gauge like, like 15 minutes in, I was like, okay, everybody's going to get all freaked out by this. And that makes it even more funny and entertaining. I think to me, like, I'll just say three quick things. I mean, one, I'll just start with the show. And so 
and this is the thing that I just will maintain again and again and again. And this isn't just comedy. This is aesthetics in general. This is music, whatever. There can be content that is really great and does not convey a message that you may or may not like you have to now. And, and in fact, what's funny is I think that that is not even what Dave's doing here at all, which is another point. I think his actual overall message is very positive, but you know, on some level, like I guess I'll loop to the freak out about it. I would have a lot more respect for people having a meltdown about it. If they could acknowledge that this guy is one of the most objectively funny people on earth and that they still have a problem with it. I think, you know, when I hear the like, Oh, he's old, he's tired, he's done. It's like, yeah. I you love know, the to me, it's that, like that Dave Chappelle is out of yeah. touch. And the last special he did was the most watched shit Netflix ever put out. And this ever. one and it's has also, people going crazy. Yeah. And it's also just like on a craft level, like, to me, it's like when I see some like, I mean, Jesus Christ, most of these people are not even attempting to do comedy or art. They're just like writing, you know, kind of like redundant cultural commentary. But like, you know, the like the idea to me, it's like somebody who teaches like geometry or something at like the middle school level, which nothing but respect to nothing but props. But they were going to look at Einstein and say like, yeah, fuck that. Like, you know, the dance physics is done. Like just as, as an aesthetic merit, the guy is amazing. And I think denying that is kind of embarrassing and delusional. The other two things I'll say real quick is he's doing a lot of different things. I mean, some of what he's doing is he's definitely challenging this, you know, cruel, puritanical kind of, you know, perfectionistic, all of that stuff, which does need to be pushed back on and critique, especially, in fact, not even just from, a, I would say, really from a socialist perspective. Um, and then we can get into that and we do get into that. And then the number three, he's actually getting to the right places. He knows he's got some fucked up views. He knows that he's playing with ambiguities. But at the end of the day, he is almost always affirming a larger human commitment to the good, the well-being, the liberation, the rights of all humans. He's just being in the process to get there. And honestly, from what I've seen in life, I think being in the process to get there actually produces much more sustainable outcomes, if that makes sense. And the last thing I'll just say real quick, and then I'll shut up is that there's one group of people like on the right who I think don't understand what Dave is really doing, but they just go, oh, this is great because of the same reason they would say anything that's, you know, they, anything that's homophobic or transphobic or whatever, they're going to praise and they have a clockwork boring response to it. And I don't think they even know what he's doing. And they certainly wouldn't appreciate his insights on race or class. And then you've got these woke people who at this point, it's like, guys, like, even if you want to critique it, you got to do something new. It's over. It's done. It's tired. It's pathetic. You're providing nothing of value and you're not engaging with the source material at all. You're just doing a condemnation, which totally misses the point comedically, socially, artistically, and politically. And it's just fucking sad. And you see it like in vice. I mean, I understand that white vice is now Viacom and has rewokeified itself, but it's like, 
Are you see? I mean, Vice wrote the most scolding. I wouldn't even click on. It. I just saw the headline. I said, "Fuck it, I'm not even giving that traffic." Pathetic. But like, look at Vice's history. Like, how about coming to terms with your own history and your own context before just you know scolding off about art that you don't appreciate or understand? And I'm saying, you can still be critical, but that knee jerk, I'm I'm over it. I think you have to be critical of Dave because he's the best we got. And we wouldn't right. be doing his talent any any we'd be doing his talent a disservice if we just passively engaged with his content, right? Like that's just where I'm at. But Aaron, I want to ask you, what was your experience of watching it? And when I talked to you yesterday, it had already out been out, so I'm pretty sure you saw some of the eye rolling and huffing and puffing. So what was your reaction? How did you take in this piece of this work of art? <laughs> to be honest, I'm kind of like Michael, like I didn't see anything about it. You know, oh, I knew perfect. that I knew, I knew that he had one out. Um, I love everything he does. So I wanted to watch it. And um, also Michael said, you know, 15 minutes in, he kind of understood where he was going, but like, I mean, his opening line <laughs> of, of the standup, you know, I mean, it was jarring, but it, I mean, it hooked me in and I mean, it, to be honest, I mean, this might be hot take. I don't, I don't think it was that funny, but it was necessary. Um, and I really appreciate it <laughs> listening to what he was saying and the, and the, and the points that he was hitting. Um, and I don't know. I mean, he's just like, I'm, I'm of the mindset of protect Dave Chappelle at all costs, you know, like, <laughs> like, because like, I just think he is necessary, especially in this time period that we are in right now, just his ability to deliver social commentary. Um, you know, obviously it, it, it's kind of jarring sometimes, but you know, I mean, he, he he's one of the best, you know, minds I think uh, of my lifetime, to be honest. I just want to say a couple of things because um, actually I don't I don't pretend to know what Aaron's sexuality is, but I'm just assuming that we're none of nobody on this call is gay. Right. And um, because that's such a big part of the freaking conversation, I do feel a need to sort of give voice to the ideas that are being espoused. Right. Like there's this idea that. Dave thinks he's being risky or edgy and it's nowhere near riskier or edgier than actually being gay. Right. Like Dave thinks his jokes, his Can edgy I just say thing, real quick, real quick was not. Yeah, sure. I, and I, I agree. I'm going to let you, I'm sorry to interrupt. I think even more, I think like definitely also, you know, the, the trans community definitely has valid, legit critiques and objections to Dave. But my point is, I feel like what I just want to jump the gun just for a second. I just want to say, I think he's doing two things. One is I think partially he's being critical of how sometimes a movement manifests, which is different than being critical of the goals of a movement. People need to understand that distinction, whether they agree or disagree. Secondly, what he's doing is he's, making fun of himself and his own hangups. This is also the second show in a row that he's basically talked about being intimate with a transgender person. Like he's making fun of his own shit. And third, I think that that the first two things kind of contain part of the answer because a lot of this material is on the borders around like, 
what your own, what somebody's own process is in relationship to change and expanding their own boundaries. So he's not just getting up. And that's like what frustrates me. It's like, he's not just getting up on stage and doing whatever. I mean, sometimes maybe he is and people can, you know, critique or laugh on that uh, each on the merits, but that is not the structure of his show. That's a misreading of it. Yeah. I I wouldn't say that. I I would just say like, for instance, like here's my thing with, with Dave, with the culture, with the climate, like there's a way now that we become, as liberal people, as self-identifying liberal people, we become puritanical, conservative, reactionary in right. how we express ourselves in our likes and our dislikes. Like the, just the concept of cancel culture, which, by the way, I think people are starting to realize you can't cancel people on Twitter because like newsflash, there's not that many people on Twitter <laughs> in the grand right. scheme of things. And a lot of the shit that you, that, that we get all worked up about on Twitter, if you leave your fucking house and you talk to people, nine out of 10 of them are going to look like, look at you like you have 10 heads. And I think people right. are slowly beginning to realize that their little cancel culture is dumb, reductive, reactionary and stupid, right? Like slowly but surely um, that's happening. And I think like you just said, and I said this on Bomb yesterday when we talked about it, I, I believe in Dave Chappelle's right as a great artist to be able to work this shit out in public. You yes. understand what I'm saying? And like, Definitely. I believe, I, and, and guess what? If, gay, if, if the gay community or people who see themselves as gay advocates want to lob criticisms, legitimate criticism criticism that Dave Chappelle that's important because how else is he going to yeah, get better of course. you know that's the process that's the process exactly. critique and exchange is great I mean and there's so, other people on the other side of the equation that go like oh you can't criticize my hero that's not what I'm saying if, nah, that's if, I wrote, if I read a column that said here's what Dave did right here's what Dave did wrong here's what I think he's trying to do blah 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 that's great. I'm all for that. I just saw the paint by the numbers bullshit that didn't even engage with anything that just heard certain buzzwords that just heard certain joke structures and they went after him and it's bullshit and it's tired and it's whack and it's pathetic and it's done. And, you know, like for me, if I'm going to put my, you know, cultural quit critic hat, which I don't even know what it would be, would that be a fedora? Would that be a five panel hat <laughs> if I was in Brooklyn? I, I don't know. Well, I don't know what that would be, but I would say he has be a gotten turban for me. <laughs> Seek style. He's stupid. He's stupid. <laughs> I, I would say that he's he hasn't gotten there. I don't think he's gotten there on the gay stuff. I think there's a lot to there's he he's still yeah. working that out. He's still untangling that. Um, that's what yep. I would say. I, and again, I respect his ability to try. I don't think his little N-word, F-word comparison hit. And what I thought was annoying about it was the stand and take the praise and whatever. That was my least favorite part of the entire show. But, I mean, when you talk, when he talked about the opioid and crack e- epidemic and the mass shootings and why people arm themselves to the teeth in the first place and the shit that he's all connecting and weaving together and the structure of his freaking set, it's like, I mean, I, you, you, you can say whatever you want about Dave Chappelle. Don't tell me he's not trying. Don't tell his, me he's not putting thought into it. His outfit, too. 
Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, like that's the first thing I know. Amazing. Noticed. I was like, um, amazing. This, this dude's in a prison jumpsuit. <laughs> I was yeah. like, man. It's you know, and 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 Amin brought up a valid point on Bomb yesterday. The whole "woe is me" it's hard being a celebrity these days. That that rings hollow. You know what I'm saying? Like we know you got like 40, 50, 60 M's to do a freaking three specials with these dudes. Let man. me just like, say though, I feel like a like a like a Dave fan though, and there's wait, maybe we should even do a second <laughs> part on this. But to me though, it's like yes. There's okay. A part of that is on is ridiculous, no doubt. A part of that is a hundred percent ridiculous. So if you concede the obvious part, that's like Dave, relax. You're rich as fuck. You get paid to tell jokes, sure. <laughs> but I just think, like on the other hand, I think that there is. Um, I don't know, man. I remember when he went to South Africa and he left his Comedy Central show, and the whole mainstream cultural consensus was that he was a nutcase. And then as time moved, it was kind of like. Well, maybe he was being really woke. That was one thing. And part, kind of my read on it was also just that the dude's a very sensitive person. Now, you know, whatever, you know, again, comparing him to most people's experience in the world, of course he has it easier. But I also do think like, it's better that, I mean, one celebrity approach is to pretend that nothing's changed, which is ridiculous. And then there's like the Howard Stern Jay Z thing where it's just like shit, you just really you're not even like I'm not there's nothing there's no connect point here, right? And I think for him in some ways that stress, that strain, whatever, how he perceives that his experience is how he still taps into his his paranoia, whatever. And that's part of his stand up, that's part of his artistic persona. So you know, I don't know. It's kind of obnoxious, but I don't know if you can believe it. Aaron, are you a, are you a Chappelle fan, Chappelle stan, and will you just listen to every single thing he does? Pre- to be honest, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, there's no shame in that. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just think like you know, he's he's earned the right for us to listen. You know, like I mean, I I think he's he he's proven himself, and now he's you know taking you know deeper steps he, he he's taking um bigger chances and i mean i'm always gonna at least watch what he does at least listen to what he has to say yeah i i, I mean i found i watched it last night again because i knew we were going to talk about it today and i was just you know like again you see some of the when you watch it over and over again you you can sort of see a little bit of the seams but in reality the stuff that you could see the seams on was the hardest shit you know what I'm saying? Like, it was the hardest stuff to pull off. Once he got into, all right, Dave Chappelle, I could do this in my sleep. He was just untouchable, sublime. It was ridiculous. You know, um, it, it like, his, <laughs> like, that line of, you know, I, I, I empathize with white people now because I don't give a fuck about you opioid addicts either. Like, I, like. Oh, he, that was so funny. Oh, was, my God. I know. Now I know why you just say no. I don't care either. (laughs) See, that's that's obviously I'm joking. (laughs) This opioid crisis is a crisis. I see it every day. It's as bad as they say. It's ruining lives. It's destroying families. Sadly, you know what it reminds me of? Seeing it It reminds me of us. These white folks look exactly like us during the crack epidemic. You know, it's really crazy to see. 
And all this shit they talk about on the news about how divided the nation is, I don't believe it. I feel like nowadays we're getting a real good look at each other. It's why, because I even have insight into how the white community must have felt watching the black community go through the scourge of crack. Because I don't care either. <laughs> Hang in there, whites. Just say no. What's so hard about that? Remember when y'all said that to us? But it's okay. There's no grudges. Now you finally got it right. Once it started happening to your kids, you realize it's a health crisis. These people are sick. They are not criminals. They are sick. Like, yo, but that's this- also to me though like isn't that the part man we got to get off of this but that's the other thing though, that just strikes me because I, look I had my winces at many points too but it's like you can't I think it's a bundle deal I think like the kind of like just shrewd as hell bastard who's also willing to be so smart and so self inquisitive to even make that joke which you know, that's, that's like a joke that will go down very easy with the audiences and that's fine. But I don't think you, but, and I've heard other comedians tell the same version of that joke, not nearly as funny. Exactly. And I just think like that joke, but that joke and the way he told it and what made it one in a million, I don't know if you can separate from the other things that he says that pisses people off. (laughs) Like I think, it's a package deal. And That's the thing is, and, and, you know, I was talking to a buddy yesterday and he was like, well, sometimes the point of the joke is that you're not supposed to say it. Right. Like Definitely. sometimes that is the point. Like yes. a lot, sometimes that, that just is the point sometimes. Like it's bad. That's why it's funny. And you got to deal with, with ambiguities. It. You got to deal with with that you can't i mean especially man i just don't i just think people running around trying to show how right they are is is a disaster because that's for the brand and it's also it's 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 so dishonest and then you don't actually do the work you know like i don't know but anyway people should watch it let's uh let's get to the crates gentlemen all right, absolutely. Um, Aaron, you know, since you're our guest this week, uh, what like give the give the people, man, a piece of culture that you think that they should really check out. It, does, it, could, it could be a movie, it could be a book, it could be, All you right. know, some YouTube channel that you just got hooked on to. Give give the people something. Yeah, I'm gonna go out of left field, and with all the you know the Kobe and Shaq stuff going on right now, with what Kobe said about how he wished Shaq would have worked harder when they played together. Um, go to YouTube, type in Shaq Jordan one-on-one 1996 all-star game and watch the move that Shaquille O'Neal puts on Michael Jordan when they're just fooling around in warmups before the all-star game. Shaq is and was one of the most dominant players in the history of NBA. And I love young Shaq. So go check out that video. Awesome. I I actually that 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 footage is on one of the Jordan come fly with me or whatever. It's on one of those 
second three-peat Bulls championship tapes that used to come out. Um, and I distinctly remember Shaq putting the shakes on Jordan as they're fooling around. A young man, not even young Shaq, old Shaq, incredible <laughs> footwork, incredible touch around the rim, an incredible passer. Like, his skill level was incredible. Uh, this idea that Shaq was lazy, didn't work on his game and could have been much better as if he wasn't one of the greatest players of all time is laughable. Uh, Mike, <laughs> what you got for us? Uh, I just want to recommend a whole bunch of new uh, tracks from Movado. Okay. Uh, I'm definitely a Movado partisan over vibes cartel. Okay. Uh, not okay. failure. I'm, I, I mean, you know, actually, I need to find out which political parties they're each affiliated with. That matters to me a lot, obviously. <laughs> which, one, which one? Which one's PMP? Which one's labor? That's what I need to know. But no, man, uh, no failure. I don't know how to NUH. I don't know. I don't know. No failure. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's 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 no failure. Yeah, I got it. That's fine. It does the job. You better to better to mispronounce than to fail. So, but seriously, that's a beautiful song. Actually, that's the thing that I've, I've been noticing the more I listen to Movado. I've always listened to Movado. And I think a lot of people who are less immersed track sort of slot him as, you know, he's one of the dancehall kingpins, which he is. But uh, he's got a lot of uh, a lot of range to him. So I've just been really appreciating Movado in a variety of different ways. So check it out. Yeah, the guy could sing, he could rap, he's got melodies, yes. he's he's got flows. He's, he's got and he's got that different like he's got his gangster songs, he has his love songs, exactly. he does have his politics. I think, you know, like vibes and you know, hopefully vibes, uh, if you're hearing this, I apologize, dude. But <laughs> I think vibes has his like Vibes' songs are like a slice of pizza. You know what I mean? And then you put different toppings on it. So he can, And I'm not to say he's an incredible talent, but I just think at the end of the day, like, and I like it. It's fun, whatever. But it's Movado. I just like range. That's my, yep. you know, that's why I like Nipsey. That's why I like Andre Agassi. I like range, man. <laughs> there you go. Um, For me, Mark Crates, and, and this isn't actually a dig, it's, it's so obvious that you should be watching this if you listen to this show. If you find yourself... You know, you you watch the news or, you know, uh, you're reading the news or whatever. You listen to Michael's show and you find yourself constantly repulsed by the oligarchs and the, the elites of this country. You need to be watching Succession. Um, that show is just basically catnip for anybody who is just reviled by these people. Like they... They do a good job of balancing like, yeah, rich people do cool shit, but also rich people are the most depraved individuals on planet Earth. <laughs> um, and the the dialogue is just whip smart. Yeah. Um, I've been meaning to watch it. Oh, my God. It's funny. It's it's entertaining. They go to beautiful places in Europe. Um, you know, like it, it, the sets are incredible. The acting, the cast. Yo, the cast is just one of the best ensembles you're ever going to see on TV. Everybody is dialing it up to a 10 and knocking it out the park. I cannot recommend this show enough. Um, everybody should be watching it. Make sure you're watching Succession, especially if you give a fuck what we generally talk about on this podcast. Like we didn't get into our commie scum Marxist ways today. Uh, we, we didn't bash the, the GOP today and the, um, you know, the, the, the aristocracy and the oligarch class of America. But this show 
man, if you give a fuck about that stuff, you need to be watching it. Yeah, I gotta get on the second season. I enjoyed the first season. Oh, uh, it's um, it's that second season picks yeah. up right where it left off. You're gonna love it. Wonderful. Uh, that's it. That's all we got for today. Obviously, I want to thank my man Aaron Dodson for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Make sure you read his piece on the undefeated. Uh, it was fantastic. One of my favorite joints I've read in a while. Of course, check out appreciate Michael that. Brooks, appreciate the that. TMBS crew. Make sure you become a patron of both us and Michael Brooks show. Uh, shouts to Rob Lopez is always on the ones and twos. We'll see you next week. We out. <laughs>